Good morning, and I'd just like to start by saying thank you to John and Liz for leading us in worship this morning. It's always intimate when somebody leads us in worship from inside their own home together. So thank you for doing that, and I hope that you have all enjoyed spending time worshipping God this morning. It was the novelist George Orwell who famously coined the phrase, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That seems like a fitting place to begin today's sermon. Because you see, today's sermon title is Faith Over the Fear of Authority. Authority and power go hand in hand. They're ways to describe pretty much the same thing. If someone has authority over you, they have power over you. If you submit to someone's authority, you're allowing them to have that power. And so there's a reason why nobody in the history of mankind, biblical or modern, has ever had absolute power. Now, of course, you may be sitting there screaming at your TV or your tablet at the moment saying, what about Jesus? If ever there's any question in church, the answer is always Jesus. And of course, yeah, you've got a point. But even when we look at the character of Jesus, we don't see absolute authority given. When he was born, he was a child in the manger, a newborn baby. He didn't have absolute authority. As he went through his childhood and his adolescence, he went on a learning curve, same as you or I. And we know this because Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. If he'd had absolute authority from the word go, he wouldn't have been fully man. In the character of Jesus, we see the authority to calm a storm, the authority to walk over a sea, the authority to heal the sick and the lame. But we also see Jesus submitting to the authority of the band of soldiers that were sent to arrest him, the authority of Herod, the authority of the Sanhedrin and the authority of Pilate when he was tried. We see him submitting to the authority of the Father in heaven when he prays in Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me, but your will be done. So, Just to be clear from the outset, I'm not saying Jesus didn't have supernatural authority. He did. But the authority came from the Father in heaven. That's where absolute authority, absolute power lies. Jesus was given a rare type of authority. When we see him healing a paralytic man in Matthew chapter 9... Once, once the healing has taken place, Jesus says, I do this so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's an example of Jesus' fully godness. You or I do not have the authority to forgive sin in the way that God does. But of course, we're jumping ahead, aren't we? To begin 
our understanding of, of this sermon today. And hopefully by the end of this, we're going to have established that we, we do not need to live with fear of authority. Our faith overcomes any fear that we have. Throughout this series so far, we have explored different fears that we are all subject to at different points in our lives. And today, as we look at what it means to have faith over the fear of authority, we first need to understand where authority truly lies. To begin with, we go all the way back to the creation narrative. And we see quite clearly in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, if we're saying that we are created in the image of God, we see here very clearly that God gives mankind authority over his creation. That's a big responsibility. That's a big statement. We are given authority by God. Now, authority comes in many different forms. The authority that God was giving there is the authority of stewardship to take care of the world around us. And that's why it's so important that we, that we make sure that we do that. That's why it's so important that we, we, we back initiatives that are going to make the world a, a better place environmentally. It's important that we care for living things, that we make sure that, that we, we treat the, the birds of the air, the animals, the fish, that we treat all these things with respect. It's important that we exercise the authority that God has given us appropriately. But of course, when we talk about faith over the fear of authority, that's not really the type of authority that comes to mind. The type of authority that comes to mind is the authority of man over man rather than man over creation. I'm sure you'll be familiar with what the, what the letter to the Romans says. Chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And so Paul's saying there to the, to the Romans, look, don't rise up against Caesar. Work within the system. Work within the system of, of laws and rules that you've been given to the point that you don't violate God's law, to the point that you honour God. Now, I know that many of us today have been spent 12 months worrying, worrying about the future of the church and the way that the church is going to be able to react after 12 months of having the doors shut to its buildings. And I know this because some of you have sent emails saying, I'm really concerned about what the church is going to be like, whether or not people are going to come back on on Sundays to to worship services, whether people are going to keep giving, whether people are, are going to actually see any relevance for the church in the world going forward. And the good news is that already um, we are seeing that we don't need to worry about such things. We are seeing already that this, uh, this time, this coronavirus pandemic has given a lot of people who didn't previously give God any consideration, it's given them time to ask questions. 
and we regularly receive emails saying I'm new to the area or I'm new to the church I'm joining online week after week I'd love to know more about what you do when you start doing it again so the church has survived the pandemic but some of you have been expressing fears about the authorities and the way that the authorities have shut down churches have denied us the right to worship but of course we've been doing this week after week on Sundays we've been putting material out we've been using YouTube Facebook the church website we've been recording sermons and posting them we've got a team of people that regularly deliver material so in no way has anyone's authority shut down our church or many other churches across the country When we had this sermon on a few months ago now on faith over fear of the unknown, we were reminded that there is nothing that is unknown to God, that God is in complete control. And the reason that God's in complete control is because, as Paul says here in his letters to the Romans, the authorities that exist have been established by God. There is no authority except that which God has established. So if we've got faith in in God, true faith then we don't need to fear any authority because true authority comes from God lies with God now we know that but that's sometimes difficult to accept and it's sometimes difficult to actually see and appreciate when we're when we're in a thick of a situation where we're having to submit to an authority that we're not comfortable with and what I want to do now is just go back to a couple of stories which hopefully you'll be familiar with but for some people they may be new and they show us examples of when people in in scripture people in history have found themselves being put in a position where they have to face up to an authority that terrifies them and it's their faith that is truly tested. So to begin with, we're going back to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And in Exodus we see Moses. We meet Moses who would go on to become a leader of God's people, a great prophet, a great um, communicator with God. He 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 was chosen by God. Now, we're not going to go through the entire story of Moses today, but we're going to look at one specific instance where God gives Moses a task and Moses knows that he cannot do it. He's terrified. Listen to this. It comes from chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 11. God has said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh the ruler of Egypt, and tell him that his slaves, the Israelites, are going to be set free. Now, Pharaoh was a pretty intimidating guy. He wasn't the sort of person that you went and had a friendly chat with. If you went before Pharaoh, you were on your knees. You were submitting to his authority. He was intimidating. Moses is not a confident speaker. He is not a a natural leader. And so this is what he says to God. He says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign 
to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. So God God shows his authority. God says to Moses, look, this is not your power that's going to bring people out of, my people out of Egypt. This is not your authority. You are simply my mouthpiece. You're simply representing me. I'm the one that is sending you. And if you want to know my name, my name is I am. That's a statement of authority in itself. God calls himself I am. Who's, who's got authority? Me. Who's, who's in charge around here? I am. Who's the creator? I am. Who's the one that knows the past, the present and the future? I am. Who's God of God, Lord of Lord, King of Kings? I am. Who's God right now, today, here in 2021? God says, I am. And at every moment, every second of every day throughout history and throughout the future that is yet to come, who is, who is God? God says, I am. He never changes, he never, he never weakens, he never changes at all. He is the unchanging God. And that's why his name is I am. That's why his authority is absolute. Now Moses eventually submits to God's authority, but he is still absolutely terrified when he goes before Pharaoh. And sometimes what we find is we need to step back. We need to be able to step back and, and see, um, see things from a distance in order to be able to appreciate what's going on. We need to take a different perspective. In the book of Daniel... we are given such a perspective. You see, the opening of the book, of, well, the whole book of Daniel is written um, in retrospect. It's written by someone reflecting on what's happened. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to the book of Daniel. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. And the opening of a couple of verses of the book of Daniel are actually seismic. They record huge, huge historical events, but they're almost glossed over as the writer wants to get to the bit including Daniel. But just look at this, these first couple of verses, because they teach us an awful lot about the authority of God. Daniel chapter 1 begins, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So we're in Jerusalem, God's holy city, the city that's been, been built according to God's instruction. It's got the temple that Solomon built sitting there. The king of Judah is, is appointed by God. It's someone that, that God has, has, has given authority to. 
This is authority over God's people. So if you were one of God's people sitting in Jerusalem and suddenly your fiercest enemy, an enemy that is feared throughout the land, they're known for being brutal and vicious, they suddenly rock up over the horizon and lay siege to the city, you could be forgiven for feeling fairly confident, feeling fairly safe because this is God's city and God's got total authority. So we're okay. This, this siege isn't going to last long. God will, by some miracle, give us the power to overcome and defeat those who are laying siege to the city, these Babylonians. You'd think so, wouldn't you? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of the king of Babylon, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So hang on, this is, this is God's chosen people in God's holy city with God's temple and the enemy of God's people come and lay siege to God's city and God allows them to ransack the city, to burn the temple, to destroy the homes of the people, to, to slaughter some of the people and the rest of them to take into slavery. You can forgive the people of Judah for maybe questioning God on this one. You see, this is just the two verses from the opening of the book of Daniel. And they're these massive events that are described. Now, imagine if you, were, if you weren't sitting here in 2021 able to look back at history and, and see what had happened and be able to see the way that God, God's authority had been, um, had been carried out. Imagine you were in that city at that time. This would have been life-changing, earth-shattering, maybe even faith-shattering. But verse 2 doesn't say the Babylonians won. It doesn't say the Babylonians were successful. It doesn't say the Babylonians defeated the people of God, the army of God, God himself. It doesn't say the Babylonian gods outsmarted the God of Judah. It says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of the king of Babylon. God still had absolute authority in the midst of the mayhem and the destruction and the carnage, in the midst of the terror of those people being dragged off into slavery thousands of miles away. God still had absolute authority. He was in control. He hadn't lost. He had delivered the king into the hands of the Babylonians. But you see, if we read on, as we reflect back on history, it makes perfect sense. We see that the king ordered his officials to, um, to take the Judean royal family, the noblemen, those who were educated, who were well-fed and therefore physically strong, those who were um, militarily astute, those who had skills in different areas, take those people and feed them, train them in our ways, feed them up, keep them, keep them well, keep them strong, keep them learning. So that eventually after three years, they can enter the service of the king of Babylon. Among these were some from Judah, and the first name on the list that we're given is the name of Daniel. 
Daniel faces a series of challenges. The first of which is the challenge of being told by the king of Babylon to eat a diet that was contrary to what Daniel should be eating to honour the God of Israel. Daniel could capitulate. Daniel could look around and say, well, hey, look, Jerusalem's been destroyed. God's people are in captivity. We've, we've had to submit to the authority of the Babylonians. If God even exists, he's not on our side. But he doesn't. Daniel stays faithful. Daniel's faith is stronger than his fear of any perceived authority of the Babylonian king. And so Daniel refuses to eat the royal food and wine. And the official who was bringing the food and wine to Daniel and his fellow Judeans says, Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, of, of the Lord my king. So that's the king of the Babylonians. He's assigned you this food and drink. Why, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king will have my head because of you. Daniel says, look, do me a favour. For 10 days, let me eat the diet that I'm choosing to eat, the vegetables, the fruits, just to drink water. After 10 days, compare me to the other, the other people who are eating the wine and the meat that the king has ordered us to eat. If you think I'm looking weaker, if you think I'm suffering for it, then fine. But I'm pretty sure that you'll be impressed because I'm doing this to honour my God and my God does not let me down. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his fellow Judeans looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Daniel, Daniel's faith is, is bigger than his fear of the Babylonians. He's prepared to put himself at risk. He's prepared to, 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 to stick by the rule of God because he trusts in God. His faith is so strong. He looks around him. He couldn't have understood what was going on. He didn't have any special foresight of what God was doing. But in the mayhem and the carnage and this completely alien culture that he was being forced to live in, with these people who would have slaughtered some of his fellow Judeans during the siege, Daniel chooses to live within the system. He chooses to talk to the captors. He chooses to bargain with them. He doesn't choose to go on hunger strike. He doesn't choose to capitulate and do what they tell him to do. He finds a way of, of bargaining with them so that he can still honour God. And God rewards that by keeping him nourished and fed and strong to the point where after 10 days on the diet that Daniel chose, God had strengthened him and his fellow Judeans to such an extent that the Babylonian guards said, yeah, fine, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take the wine and the meat and have it ourselves. You keep eating what you're eating because the king is going to be very impressed when he sees the way that you're growing. God also blesses Daniel with a gift of the interpretation of dreams and visions. And so comes the next challenge. So comes the next challenge when we're told that King, King Nebuchadnezzar has been having dreams. 
they're disturbing dreams, they're troubling him so he can't sleep. And so he sends for the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers. The, the type, of, type of people who in those days you would call if you had dreams and visions that you couldn't understand. But the king's obviously a little bit suspicious of them. He maybe is a bit um, uh, wary of their trickery. Understandably. I once went to a wedding and I was sitting at the table and there was a bottle of wine on the table and I, there was half a glass left. I put it into my glass and there was an empty bottle sitting in front of me. A magician came round, put a, a white napkin over the bottle, tapped it on the top. It fell through a solid wood table to the point it landed on my shoe underneath and I picked it up and it was the same bottle. I don't know how he did it. To this day, I cannot even begin to fathom how he did it. If anyone out there knows, then please let me know. But, you see, I know it wasn't magic. I know it was trickery of some sort. It was sleight of hand. I know that it's because the guy had practised and practised and practised and that actually he's not that he's got a gift of being able to pass something to a solid table. It's that he's very, very good at his trade. The king is wary of the sorcerers, the magicians. And so he brings them in and he says, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. They answer the king, O king, live forever. Tell us your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king calls their bluff. He's wary of them. And so he says, this is what I've decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut to pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me the gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. You see, they've come to him thinking, he'll tell us the dream, we can make something up. We can guess. We can tell him what he wants to hear. We can flatter him and then he'll love us for it. And then he'll want us to interpret more dreams. It doesn't matter. But the king is serious about this. The king genuinely wants to know. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation as well. This is a test. And of course, their lives depend. They're going to be ripped to pieces if they can't do this. Now, this conversation goes on. The astrologers say, that's unreasonable. No, it's, uh, I, we can't do that. Come on, tell us what the dream is. And the king says, no, you tell me what the dream is. You read my mind. Once again, we see God's authority working. Where? Where's God's authority working in this situation, you might think? But actually, read on. In chapter 2, verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men. You see, God's authority has brought the situation to a point where the, all the trusted people, all the people the king sent for, the, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the, the astrologers, the magicians, all of these people stand in front of the king and say, nobody can do this. This is impossible. Only God, the gods can do this. And they don't live among men. But of course, the God of Israel does. Our God is among us. He's in us and around us. He's working through us. He listens to us because he loves us. This is not some idol, some empty deity. Our God is the living God, the one true living God. 
And so when the sorcerers and everyone else stands in front of the king and says, no one can do this, they're giving God an opportunity to prove once and for all that he is God. And he uses Daniel to do this. Daniel hears of the order to execute these, these sorcerers and he says, look, tell the king, I'll do it. Now, once again, faith over fear. Daniel isn't scared of being put to death because his faith, his faith is in God. What happens is Daniel basically puts his head on a chopping block and those of his friends as well. He says, we will do this. Our, our God will do it. No problem. Daniel's got absolutely no reason to say that whatsoever. He could have said, yeah, fine, behead them. I don't care. But he doesn't. He knows that God has got absolute authority. He knows that he doesn't need to fear God. He doesn't need to fear the Babylonian king, sorry, because his faith is in God. He has faith over the fear of the authority of the Babylonian king because he knows that absolute authority lies with God. And so that night, Daniel goes to sleep and in a vision, the dream and the interpretation are revealed to him. And he goes to the king the next day and he tells the king what the dream was. And the king is absolutely amazed. And as Daniel's explaining the interpretation, having, having said to the king, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery is asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel takes the opportunity to tell the king about God he says, look, this, this, isn't, this isn't my power, this isn't trickery or, or I'm not a sorcerer or anything like that. I'm simply a man of faith. And God, my God, rewards my faith. And this is what he's shown me. He's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on the bed are these. And he goes into explaining what it is. In the explanation later on, he says, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In other words, the God of heaven has authority over you. The God of heaven delivered Jerusalem into your hands. The God of heaven has given you your status in the Babylonian kingdom. You might not be part of the people of Judah, but you still fall under the authority of the God of heaven. In verse 44, he says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So Daniel's prophesying what's going to happen. The dream that was given to Nebuchadnezzar included a prophecy which Daniel is now explaining and unpacking for him. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you, God has revealed to you what's going to happen in the future. This is my God talking to you because he's your God as well. And eventually, eventually, having done all this, having been so faithful to God's authority and not allow any fear to overcome it, Daniel hears Nebuchadnezzar say these words, Surely, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mystery, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then we see Daniel being given status and opportunity. And the story goes on. It's not all rosy. Eventually he finds himself in the lion's den, but that's for another time. You see... We live in a world where there is a lot of authority. 
But what we must never forget is that we can choose whose authority we submit to. We can choose whether we allow this to have authority over us. Whether every time a message comes in or there's a call or an email, we go running to it and stop everything else. For a lot of us, without realising it, we've given that authority. In the same way, there might be, there might be certain people around us who, who demand our attention all the time and distract us from, from spending time with God. Well, we can decide who we give our time to. We might have a, a boss at work who is, who's demanding and makes us do things which actually we, we're not comfortable doing, cutting corners and, and taking risks, and you think, that's not right. We can whistleblow. We can, we can do what is right. We can stand up for ourselves. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation like Daniel where we think, this is, this is awful. God, why have I lost my job? Why can't I pay my mortgage? Why am I suffering with this illness? Why have I lost this family member? Why is this happening to, to a friend of mine? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Why, why, why? If you're going through that right now, then please stick to your faith. Allow your faith to supersede your fear because God has authority over everything. God is in control of your situation, whatever it is. God has put you in that situation for a purpose because he has the authority. He is not a cruel God that wants his people to suffer. He is not a God that, that, that beats us at every opportunity. He's a God of love and compassion and grace and mercy and he calls us to be the same. And sometimes in order to show love and compassion and grace and mercy, we have to be put in situations where we stick out like a sore thumb because no one else is showing those virtues. Sometimes serving God is really difficult. But we must never look around us and fear any other authority, anything else around. We must never allow anyone's authority to block our faith, to prevent us from spending time with God and to living the way that he would want us to live. I remember when I was up in a city, a friend of mine once sent me an email saying, just let you know I've had to change my phone number, can we meet? So we, we met up and um, they went through a long story of a spiral into drug addiction. And it turned out that the phone number had had to be changed because the night before, this person had been sitting with their dealer, having a drink and spending more and more and more money and eventually said, I've got to go. And then they realized their phone was missing. And what had happened is that the dealer had taken the phone and hidden it. And so this person couldn't walk away, couldn't leave. They needed their phone, it had all their contacts on it, it had everything, everything stored on there. And eventually they had to just walk out and just leave and get away. And they left their phone and they said, you know, I'm gutted. I had so many photos on there of, of, of photos that I wanted to keep. I had my personal details on there, everything is on there. But I had to walk away from it and I've got to start again. And do you know what? It felt so good just to walk away from it, but I'm scared that they're going to get my new number and they're going to come after me and I'm going to be tempted back in. You see, that person had allowed the authority of a dealer to start taking control of their life. 
we all, we all have the option to succumb to the authority, to submit to the authority that we want to. So be wise. As we go through life, let's just be wise. Let's just make sure that, that we always, always, always seek to serve God, seek to submit to his authority. Seek to live, live in peace as much as we can with those around us. Seek to show all the virtues that God would have us show. And when we look at stories of, of people like Moses and Daniel, and there are many, many others, we can see that when we stop and look back at life, and maybe you've done this, maybe you've been through a crisis, a really difficult time, and, and you've suddenly looked back and you think, do you know what, God was there. I went through that horrific experience and it was awful, it was horrible. But because of that, I've been able to share my experience with others that have gone through a similar thing and I've been able to help them. Or maybe I was so, I was so into my house and my job and my career that I'd pushed God right out to the periphery and losing that job and, and getting repossessed. Actually, I'm back on my feet now and, and I'm closer to God. It was necessary for me to lose those idols so that God was returned to the centre of my life. I don't know what you've been through, but you do. And you can bear testament, personal testimony to what God has done in your life. And it's so important that we do that, that we always take time to recognise when God has worked in us and through us and for us. When we submit to his authority, we know that we are in tune with what he wants us to be. We often talk about the Great Commission when Jesus, just before he, he ascended back into heaven, gave us that instruction to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But let's just remind ourselves of the verse before Jesus said that. Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus was just about to go and join the Father in heaven. When, as I said at the start, when he was, when he was sent into this world, he didn't have absolute authority, absolute power. He can't have because he was fully man. But just before he ascended back into heaven to be with the Father, then all authority was given back to him. And he still has all authority now. So whatever we go through, whatever challenges we face in life, whoever tries to force us to submit to their authority, let's always remember that they only have any form of authority because God has given it. Every authority on earth, absolute authority, belongs to God. And so as so long as we remember that, as long as we keep faith in him, we have nothing to fear because we know that God is always top of the tree. And on that appalling link, I'm going to wish you a very, very good week and hope that you join us again next Sunday.